Welcome everyone to the latest Green Section podcast. Uh, we've got an exciting show today where we're going to go around the regions with three USGA regional agronomists. We're going to have Corey Isom from the West. Corey started with us in 2019 and before joining the USGA, he was a superintendent at um, Cordoval, at the Preserve, um, a couple different spots in California there. Uh, we're also going to have Elliot Dowling, an agronomist in the Northeast region who joined the staff in 2013. Uh, before joining the USGA, Elliot was also a superintendent at Ivanhoe and Crest Creek in the Chicagoland area. Uh, and then finally, we'll have Zach Nicolutis on the show. He's been on staff since 2015 in the Central region. And before that, he was uh, the South Course superintendent at Wilmington Country Club in Delaware. Um, was also an assistant at Bitterman in Delaware and in St. Clair uh, in the Pittsburgh area. So it's awesome to have these guys participating in the show. Collectively, they see, um, you know, probably more than 250 golf courses a year. So it's really exciting for them to share their observations, um, what they're seeing in their travels. Uh, so guys, welcome to the show. Well, for, first, I mean, Adam, what makes this job so great is, you know, we get to leave the golf course, right? I yeah. mean, we get to talk about the stress and then, and then you know, go somewhere else and they've got to deal with it. But, you know, I'm thinking back to my last even just couple of weeks, especially as, as the heat has turned up, you know, in the Northeast and, and, and all over, really. I mean, Corey and the guys in Pacific Northwest, they're really, they're really taken right now. But, you know, I think what you said is, is exactly what I'm seeing. Uh, play is still, I mean, way up. More so than, than last year, even on golf courses that didn't close, you know, during the pandemic, uh, par three tees or just undersized tees in general, uh, just can't keep up. I mean, they really probably ended the year last year with not a lot of good grass and started this this year with, you know, with the same level of poor grass. And, and it just, there's been no time for recovery. I think we had a pretty good spring overall and in early summer. I mean, up until even just a few days ago, uh, until the weather got, got really hot and, and humid's increasing, but or humidity's increasing. But it's um, that that's been the fear or at least the concern. And, and interestingly, it's been where most of the renovation conversation has been. I, I think golf courses who uh, which, by the way, seems to be most of them in my area, but are, are full on membership or close to some even waiting lists again, are anticipating uh, a lot of traffic uh, for the next you know few years, more than a few years. So what need, what can be done to to either compensate for that or the golf course can handle that? So tees, traffic areas. I actually got some really good photos saved from a golf course with you know too many trees and too many trees in really poor positions so for them today was uh, a putting green a bunch of trees separating the green from the tee and of course that's where all the traffic wants to go so you know you can imagine what the grass looks like under the trees anyway and especially when you put 150 200 rounds a day in that one small area it's it's, it's one dirt won't get better until fall right until the weather breaks so that's what i've been seeing so far along the lines of um traffic the one thing i've i've come across more in uh in my travels is the push carts or even the push carts that you know have the technology to follow golfers and obviously that's certainly that type of traffic is more welcome than golf cart traffic so i think it's great to see a lot of uh facilities starting to you know, permit use of whether it's golfers bringing their own push carts or now they're, you know, having uh, 
a fleet of their own to offer. You know, if golfers are willing to walk and use a push cart, I think that's, you know, that's certainly a, a no brainer. I did, did see, you know, there's still, there's still a form of traffic though. There's no doubt about that. And actually saw push cart tire tracks on a stress collar because uh, the golfer got a little too close. So, uh, you know, obviously would want to still be keeping those push carts off, uh, you know, off the collars, off the putting greens, but it's, that's definitely a welcome site, I think, at a lot of facilities. Yeah, I, w- I would echo with what Elliot and Zach have already said in the sense that, you know, traffic is way up. One of the big things that I hear everywhere I go is that labor is a huge challenge. Finding qualified people or even willing people uh, to come out and work on a golf course has really been a monumental struggle for most of the guys that I have visited this year in the West. That's a great point, Corey. I've heard heard really the same thing. And, you know, with increased play, there's a lot of courses that have actually been, you know, it's, they've sort of benefited to say, all right, we've got more play. Let's let's add some more resources to the maintenance staff. But that's easier said than done. Um, Elliot, I'm curious, or well, I guess for any of the guys, you know, with the, the traffic issues on tees, are you guys hearing courses think about rebuilding tees and enlarging them to accommodate the extra play that they've gotten sort of during a COVID year and now, you know, in year two? Are they really thinking that long term or is it kind of, hey, let's just let's ride this out and see if we have this amount of increased play over the next couple of years? For a lot of facilities, they've really kicked around the idea of a tee renovation uh, for the last couple of years. And then and then the spike in play uh, with with the COVID pandemic has put a lot of people over the edge, really kind of saying uh, we don't we don't have another choice. We can't continue to. You know, not do something about the tees, and you know, I, I'm in a good area where Bermuda grass will grow on on you know most of the courses I visit in my area, save for Western Pennsylvania and and uh, a few other areas. Bermuda grass will grow in the summer. You know, if you if you don't want to or can't enlarge tees, and and, and grow environments is a is a major component anyway. But if you can put Bermuda grass on the tees you can at least buy yourself some time because Bermuda grass will recover in, in the summer, at least, at least much quicker than any of the other cool season options. You know, I'm calling tea renovations a really big kind of catch all. It, it might not be bulldozer and soil and drainage and the whole thing. It might be a regrassing project that I've just lumped into a, a renovation. Really, if you could look at my, my reports, probably all of them from this, from this you know year already and certainly last year at least the last couple months of visits uh it was it was on tea renovations and a lot of those being some earthwork to enlarge the teas as much as possible with the cons- like given consideration of bermuda grass on on teas how much discussion is there as far as uh the potential for traffic in the shoulder seasons when obviously the bermuda isn't growing because uh, that that's something we that a golf course I was at recently came up and it was a major concern if we because you know we saw a fair amount of play later in the season through a lot of the central region and even on it didn't it doesn't matter if you had cool season or warm season tees you know when it was late October and you know this time frame when we were seeing some of this you know additional play and really wearing the turf out and not getting any recovery has is that a topic that you're you're seeing come up as well it is i mean i well you lived out out here right in delaware and and so you know for the most part 
we can play golf all year, right? I mean, certainly when you get down into Virginia and, and uh, Southern Maryland, you know, it may be it may be cold. It's not Florida, but uh, you can play golf all year. So that's that's a consideration. You know, the savvy golfer who hears warm season grass in their mind thinks, well, what happens when it's cold, right? So uh, although it is a consideration, you know, my answer to that has been and, and remains to concentrate traffic uh, in the shoulder season more often than you would in season, in the summer months. So on, on a tee, it would be place the tee markers towards the front of the tee and, and leave them there. And, and again, I'm talking a Bermuda grass surface, leave them there and really until that area is worn basically to dirt, until there's really nothing else to play from, and then move them just slightly so that when you come out in the spring and you want to play golf, you have a majority of that tee is in, you know, really good condition, and you have a choice to make on the front of that tee. Your, your traffic is concentrated. You could either let the Bermuda grass grow in naturally, which it would eventually, or aerate. You know, what I see a lot is people will aerate the healthy portion of the tee and just shovel those plugs into that, you know, bare areas that kind of an in-house quasi-sprigging. Or, of course, sod is an option to recover that. But it, it, it gives people a place to play from on grass, but it, it protects, I'd say, the majority of your tee, you know, for when the season rolls around again. Could always hop on that Blue Muta train, too. It's not a bad option. Not a bad option. Uh, a lot of guys, I was down in Virginia Beach a week or two before I left for the Open, so late May, and a golf course there with a lot of shade, Park District Golf Course. So, so you know, in, in a park, just a ton of trees. It's a forest uh, surrounding the golf course. He has started doing blue muta tees as a, as a hedge, right, a hedge on the weather. Uh, whatever grass grows doesn't matter to him, certainly doesn't matter to the golfers. Um, it's green, it's healthy, and it's dense. It's, it, it looks nicer than, than the bare soil that, that he's had for so many years. So, yeah, the blue muta is certainly an option. Talk about it a lot. Yeah, I haven't seen it on any practice tees, but waiting for a facility to make maybe make that move and see, see, how, it, uh, see how it works. Yeah, I've seen it on some short game areas, some not practice tees, short game fairways. And, and really, I've seen it on... Uh, range floors where you're going to run a bunch of you know ball picker and traffic over it. I think it has a place, um, and and I certainly talk about it as, as one of the you know several options. What are you guys hearing you know in your travels about success r- related to getting divots to recover? I mean, I I had a conversation with the superintendent of the Boston area. Uh, last week, and and they have had really good success this year, really educating their golfers on the importance of replacing a divot when it's got some soil attached, as opposed to instantly reaching for that for that divot bottle. So, have you guys seen anything like that? Yeah, I, I don't know that I've seen a whole lot of traction gained there. I, I will say that you know what I push probably most often, and I see good success. Uh, and Zach, actually, a, a friend of ours, a mutual friend, a superintendent in West Virginia, he is going to start. Uh, just because we were emailing back and forth. I see a lot of guys using fine fescue in their divot mix, really as an alternative, as a, as a replacement to bent grass on tees and fairways, you know, because it will recover in the summer. You know, something I see from a golfer perspective, and, and you know, believe me, I have been guilty of this. So, so lump me in with, with every other golfer. You know, you're in a, uh, just off the fairway in the rough, and you take a divot, and you reach for that bottle just 
out of habit and you throw now bent grass in the rough where, you know, a foot to your right or left, bent grass is the grass you want. Once you put it in the rough, it is, it is a weed. So, you know, if that happens, and, and, and I'm, again, I've, I've been guilty of it, at least you've put fescue seed in the rough, which is a fine rough grass and not, and not bent grass. So I really encourage superintendents to eliminate bent grass from the mix that they give golfers. And, and if they want to use bent grass with their staff, fine, you know, because they're, they're doing it as a job. They know where they're putting it and they're thinking about it. Uh, but I, I see a lot of, a lot of fine fescue being used. I agree. Me too, Elliot. It's, you know, all, that, that that's a it's a nurse grass it germinates quicker than bent grass i think and it's going to tolerate a little dry conditions a little bit better than the bent grass the, the chewing's fine fescue combined with a a divot mix that holds some moisture like a 532 or a 622 seems like the the go-to um we're still battling 150 to 200 rounds a day on some some small teas uh so sometimes there's only so much you can do i've seen a fair amount of conversations on twitter about bunker rakes are back out um, but there's not maybe the uh, uh, adherence to using them as much as superintendents would like. So uh, do you guys have any courses that, that don't have bunker rakes out? I know one course I visited last year is interesting. They really felt that without the bunker rakes, they had much, they had, or there was a lot more traffic going up the face of bunkers rather than uh, golfers, you know, raking themselves out and entering through the lowest point of the bunker. So it was, uh, that was one interesting, uh, uh, observation from last year. Haven't seen, I haven't come across a golf course that doesn't have any bunker rakes, uh, on them. I know there are probably some that would prefer they weren't, but by and large they're, 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 yeah, they're back, they're back out. out. This year. Probably the majority are out, but I will say I, I've seen a fair number not put them back out, which I'm not going to take credit for certainly but I, I was a big pusher of this because you know you hear the superintendents talk about how much time it takes or, or it costs to get off the machine move rakes mow around the bunker get off the machine put the rake back and, and and really all for a lot of golfers that just weren't raking the bunkers anyway i actually have a funny story from a course last week they did not put bunker rakes back out and a couple of golfers on the visit were questioning that and, and really kind of kind of questioning in that tone, like they weren't happy about it. And I'm on the visit with several club officials, like people who, who are known around the club. And, and so people play through, a group plays through us on a par three, someone's in the bunker, they play, they look at us, they talk to us very cordially. This course did have bunker rakes out. They did not rake the bunker. And as they left, I told the people, I said, that, that's why you should not put bunker rakes back out because they're not using them anyway. So for daily play, uh, I, I, I say don't put them out. Uh, go with the local rule that if your ball is in the footprint, move it out, leave your ball in the bunker. I mean, consider the average golfer, right? I mean, is a 14 or 15 handicap. Even keeping your ball in the bunker is still difficult. It, it's, it's no different than it would have been two years ago if the bunker were raked, you know, by a golfer. So you play on. And, uh, and then it saves a lot of time and maintenance on the back end from, from the superintendent. So I, I do see courses who did not put them back out. It came up on the visit today. Um, the superintendent was really hoping I could help him get bunker rakes back off the golf course. And, and, and more so than whether they did or didn't go out, what, what I saw a lot of 
and we've all seen this example and, and superintendents and assistants, whoever's listening to this, you'll, you'll know this example of bunkers with two, three or more rakes uh, when, when it really could have one. That, that's what I've seen probably more than bunker rakes not coming back out is, is half of them. Let's dive in to, uh, to the West. I mean, what, what is going on with the extreme heat in the Pacific Northwest? I mean, I saw this week there were, there were temperatures, you know, that were 110, 115 degrees. Um, what, what's that looking like for courses? How is that going to sort of impact the, the rest of their season? What have you, what have you heard from that recent, recent stretch of, you know, extreme temperatures? It's been hot. Uh, no lie there. It is. Um, yesterday I was on a visit and I think we were at 109 um, in Seattle proper and that's unheard of. So the good news about that sort of thing is that weather forecasting, everybody knew it was coming and um, any, any, any self-respecting superintendent preps for that. They know they're in for a, a long number of days of babysitting Poa Annua Greens or, or really anything on the golf course with that kind of a heat. But you know, generally speaking, I, the, the guys I've spoken with so far have kind of come out of it relatively unscathed. We had some what appeared to be some scald on some Poa Greens um, yesterday. It was like 111. But I think for the most part, guys are are um, you know gearing up for it and uh, putting in the time and, and effort to, to to keep stuff alive in that extreme heat. Yeah, it really, it seemed like it was uh, quite the battle. I saw the, the forecast a couple of days out too, and it's like, boy, what, you know, that's, that that part of the world in, in the Pacific Northwest, there's, there's a lot of spots that don't have, you know, AC in their homes. You know, that sort of demonstrates how crazy that, that type of heat is. So yeah, that, no no doubt. I'm sure it was been a it's been a tough couple of days for a lot of superintendents in that area. More spread out throughout the entire West. How's the drought shaping up this year? It looks like it's uh, definitely sort of the start of you know some some challenging you know weeks and months ahead for a lot of courses. Yeah, you're right about that. We've we've got you know if you look at the U.S. Drought Monitor map, uh, a good share of the West region as we define it in the USGA is under either exceptional or extreme drought. Um, now, unfortunately, this has become a bit of a common thing for guys in California, but guys in Oregon and Colorado, Western Colorado and Utah, Wyoming, Idaho, this is this is kind of a new thing for them, and so it's a tough situation. It's you know, my personal experience would say this is probably one of the worst things that a superintendent can have to endure is not having enough water to irrigate their golf course. So, you know, people may argue with me on that, but it's 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 a rough go when you everything that you do as a superintendent is geared towards long-term viability of that piece of property and all the different things that you do to that thing are for health, long-term sustainable health. And when you have to watch stuff kind of die, and just shrivel up. It's a tough, it's a tough road to go down. So and it's not just hard on the superintendents, hard on the staff because they work hard as well. It's hard on owners and members and, and just average golfers that go out there and see their favorite place kind of lose some of its luster. How, how do you think the, I know that you've written about this in a regional update recently, you know, the, the seed shortage that could potentially hit, you know, the, the western half of the U.S. in particular. That does some overseeding, but especially courses are having to overseed large portions of their golf course because they just had to shut the water off. I mean, is that is that on people's radar right now as well? Well, it should be. Um, I think there's there's probably varying stages of grief in a drought situation on a golf course, and one of them really has to be how do we recover from this, and 
recovery you know ideas for this year are going to have to include what do we do about seed uh, the ryegrass seed shortages are well documented out here really all over the country um, people aren't able to get they're either not able to get seed or they're not able to get varieties that they would like to get um, sometimes it's going to even include some even annual ryegrass or some intermediate ryegrass um, stuff that we would have long thought was undesirable for an overseeding situation, but that's that's the reality that's upon us, and people are going to have to adjust accordingly. Now, I, w I will say that there, there's basically two scenarios of drought and water restrictions out here in the West, and one is would be saying that we're just not allowed to get more water. Um, and then one would be able to say, I'm not able to get water. The, the not allowed water is, is a water district or a, a municipality saying, hey, we're restricting how much water you can use so you don't get to use it. The other scenario, which is what you'd see in the mountains or on a facility that relies solely on wells or reservoirs, is they're just not able to get the water. And, and those two things become really important when we start to talk about recovery. The, the not allowed water in a recovery situation, presumably in the fall, municipalities and water districts are going to get more comfortable with, okay, we're going to make it. They may be able to release some more water for you. Um, or you may be, able, may be able to just pay more for that water. But the folks that are in the not able to get water, uh, that's a rough road because now you've got to consider how do I ration what I already have this year to maintain turf with enough left in the tank to help me to at least do some overseeding for areas that I lose in the fall. And the alternative there is, well, do I want to look at dead grass throughout the winter and early spring months into 2022? So it's a bit of semantics, but it really does make a difference on, on how you're handling any type of water restrictions. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a tough road ahead. So we'll, <clears throat> we're going to continue to follow sort of the, the drought. I know it's going to be a topic that we'll We'll try to touch on and provide some, you know, good action items for, for superintendents and good communication points, certainly for golfers too, because that's, that's one thing we hear an awful lot is, okay, well, it's dry, you know, firm and fast. That's, that's great. That's what we want. But when you've got grasses that don't really go dormant, they just, they don't have enough water to live, you know, then you're, you could be staring at some ugly turf for a long time. So hopefully things sort of shape up uh, and we get some timely rainfall. Uh, but again, we'll, we'll monitor the situation and we'll, we'll check back in. And uh, I know you're uh, you're going to be working closely with courses all over to to do whatever you can to to try to get them on a on a path to sort of whatever makes the most sense for them to to mitigate the the stress from the drought. Elliot, let's move into what's going on in the Northeast. Uh, obviously, this is a spot where I visit golf courses, but um, you're you're really hitting a lot of courses in I think one of the toughest spots to grow grass with heat, humidity, you know, heavy rain, you know, that, that those mid-Atlantic states, the DC metro area, um, you know, just a, a turf pathologist dream. So what, what's going on in, in that part of the world? I'm sure it's been uh, an interesting season as it, as it always is down there. Even through today, it's been, it's been a good start to the year. We've had our ups and downs with weather. We've had stretches of really wet. We've had stretches of really dry. We've had some heat, uh, but this is the first you know, four days of, of every day is above 90 and the lows are, you know, 75 or so. There's a cool front coming through this weekend that seems to provide relief. If, if you actually believe the, the five day, which I can't say that I always do. But if, but if you tend to believe that, or at least you want to believe it, then, then you've got to get through Thursday or Friday uh, in most of my states. And then, 
and then it looks like it drops, you know, 10 or 15 degrees. And, and, and really, this is, this is coast to coast, but especially um, in the northeast and, and really kind of the, the upper transition zone, you're looking at those nighttime temperatures, and, and we've got a couple coming up that start with a 6. And anytime you can get some that start with a 6, I mean, we're pretty happy about it. And, and, and so, you know, hopefully, because because you know the DC metro where where I am right now, I mean, it's you know it's 97, the humidity's creeping up. You're going to have that. You know, this is not unusual. But but we've had years, even like last year, where it, it got into this sort of stretch and didn't let up until until September. Um, you know, if we could get it where we have three or four days of it, and then and then a few days of relief, that that would be fine. So. I would say overall, um, starting to get some ABW questions. They're they're they can be seen. It's still been pretty quiet. Knock on wood. Um, I have not had any other major issues yet. And again, we're we're just kind of starting. We've had a good start to the year. I think you hit the nail on the head with just you know a couple nighttime temperatures that start with a six is is always some welcomed relief. So um, thanks for the update there. Zach, let's let's uh, sort of finish up around the regions with you in the Central. Uh, first off, I know you, you just arrived at Omaha Country Club for the Senior Open, so how are things looking for, for that event? Just got to Omaha yesterday, uh, came from Chicago, and where they've been pretty wet, but uh, Eric uh, McPherson and the, uh, the agronomic team have the course uh, pretty much exactly where we would want it for advance week. Um, they've had, they've definitely had a little more moisture or a little more rain than we would have liked leading up to in the past week or so, but, um, everything's looking great. Spent the, spent the better part of the afternoon with, uh, Ben Kimball, who's the uh, staff in charge, kind of getting around the front nine, locating some stint meter spots and just talking about a few things. But I mean, overall, I mean, we couldn't be in a better position from where you'd want to see a golf course, um, uh, during advance week. Just uh, need the weather to cooperate a little bit. Got some cells popping up around us right now, but so far so good. And right now, uh, next week, uh, the temperatures definitely tick up to more Omaha in July-like temperatures. Corey and I were joking about this the other day on a call. Uh, all this heat wave that's coming through the Pacific Northwest is just prepping them for a week in Omaha with uh, extreme humidity and heat and intense sun. <laughs> Cool. Anything else unique um, or, you know, worth bringing up related to what you've seen in the central region over the past few weeks? Kind of piggyback off uh, Elliot's talk about ABWs. We are randomly seeing, I, I shouldn't say randomly, they are popping up at, uh, in, you know, certain locations in the central region and not just kind of in eastern Ohio where you'd kind of expect the kind of the migration to be just how it got to some of these golf courses. I would probably, I would probably look at maybe where they source saw it from at or source sod from at one point or another. So much, at, at one particular facility, I mean, I'm talking populations where you look down and it's like, we could do a soap flush, but we don't need to do a soap flush. We can see enough walking on the surface to, enough adults on the surface to know populations are probably, even if there's not a lot of polyannua, I still want to start getting some control. So I, you know, kind of jokingly with uh, with my brother-in-law, who's a superintendent, it's one of those things like if you're on a pack of Luchasol program and it looks like it's working really well, it might be time to do a soap flush because uh, something, <laughs> something else might be working on those uh, pull-up. But yeah, I thought that's just been interesting that it's been, you know, a handful, it's only been a handful of sites, but it's it's a topic that's coming up a little more frequent than I would have expected. You know, what are some tips 
that you guys are seeing that really can help mitigate summer stress? I mean, the the old standards of, you know, hey, reduce your mowing, use rolling instead of mowing, raise the height, um, you know, switching to solid front rollers, things like that. Those are pretty standard that I think most most superintendents already know and, and maybe do those proactively. But any, anything unique out there that you guys are seeing that really seems to kind of help just give turf that extra little, you know, stress relief? You know, expectations uh, in the Northeast and expectations everywhere. I mean, Central Region, West Region, they're, they're, everyone is trying to do as good as they can possibly do, right? And, and, and provide more than their budget would suggest that they should provide or that their staff would suggest that they could, should provide. But the tolerance for changes in weather is is quick. It can happen fast. And when it happens quickly, you can really get caught. So, and I see less and less of it because I think, I think superintendents are getting smarter. Every year we all learn and get a little bit better at what we do. Not trying to go that one extra day with, with whatever it is you're trying to do, you know, an extra mow or roll or... or just, just don't don't push it even one extra day. When you see a stretch like we have, like we're in right now, say, all right, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna back off for you know four or five days, whatever it is, and, and then try to get back onto it, you know, in a few days uh, when the weather breaks, and and be flexible to come and go, and not not push. You know, this is not everybody. I agree, Adam. Everybody knows front rollers and lightweight mowers and and roll less or whatever it is, but it just seems like the guys that, that get in trouble, the courses that get in trouble are the ones that, that tried to do just a little bit too much, really one extra day in a lot of cases at all it takes. So I, 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 I always like to tell the story or, or, or just tell guys that I'd rather deal with some green speed or, 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 or smoothness type, you know, complaints, conversations for the next few weeks knowing that if I can get it through the next, well, couple months, I, I can do what I want to it in September and October. But if, but if you don't, if you don't get to September and October, then you got a lot of recovery and then, and then the weather breaks and you really do start to hear it. So don't, don't let pride get in the way. Don't let egos get in the way and, and know, know when one day extra could, could spell disaster. The worst position to be in is uh, implementing a recovery program in the fall when all your neighbors are foot down on the throttle, you know, pushing pushing things to the extreme when the weather will allow them. Doing nothing is doing is doing something, and that that something can be a lot sometimes for the turf for sure. That's a that's a great point, Zach. And you know, one of the things that I see in my travels is you know, when we're in these hot and humid stretches. I mean, even doing that extra mow or that extra roll, I feel like it doesn't get you a whole lot just because it's so sticky out. Obviously, I mean, superintendents under a, under, are under a tremendous amount of pressure, um, and it's hard to sort of know when that that one day too many really is. But um, good good takes from both of you guys. Corey, anything to, to add before we wrap up? You know, I, I, I'm very fortunate. I get to go see some really cool places, and we've got some great renovation work that's happening. Eugene Country Club is undergoing a uh, a much needed renovation on a classic old golf course. Um, the, the four ball at Chambers Bay was fantastic this year. Uh, well received. And, you know, I didn't realize, but talking to Bill McCarthy, that, that director for that championship, that that's actually our third biggest event that we, a championship that we hold for the USGA behind the open and the U S amateur. So that was a great experience. And uh, it was a, it was a good, good championship all around. So, Lots of good things going on in the West. It's just, you know, we, we've got short-term memory 
problems out here and, and having it be 110 doesn't help. Corey bailed out the West and, and they saved the podcast. But I did want to say uh, in the West, which I'm not a part of, I was fortunate enough to work the U.S. Open in the West. And I can speak to the U.S. Open. Rich and his entire team at Tory just, I mean, they nailed it. I think that's a good point to end the discussion. Just let's everyone picture Elliot Dowling on one of those gliders or whatever those things are, are, are called out at Tory Pines. Thanks everyone for participating today. It's been a great discussion. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast series through Apple Podcasts. And if you're not already a subscriber, check out the Green Section Record. It's our free digital publication that's published twice a month.